Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now in Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to do verses 1 through 12. The visit of the Magi to the Holy Family. This is a redo of an earlier recording I've done, which I recorded with the microphone turned around backwards, and so it sounded very bad. And I'm glad I'm redoing this because I've come up with some extra stuff on some problem, difficult points in the text. So I'll talk to that when I get there. Our context of this, of course, this is all about the birth of Jesus. We start with Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Now, folks, it's not three kings of the Orient, not three kings of the east, not we three kings of Orient are, as the song unfortunately says. It's Magi, those were wise men, stargazers, prophets, people that studied prophetic lore, that kind of stuff. From the east, we don't know whether that's from Babylonia. Most people kind of assume it's from southern Arabia and Babylonia. It could be from Persia, a little bit further from the east. But wherever they were from, they were from a place that specialized in this kind of stuff, prophetic type stuff. Now, notice it says after Jesus was born. This is about two years after. It's still in Bethlehem. It's not in the manger. That's another problem. The traditional song has the wise man coming to visit Jesus in the manger just as he was born. No, he was about two years old. It was not in a manger. It was in a house. He was not a baby. He was a child. An inf- he was a little kid, not an infant. It's amazing how much tradition trumps what the scripture plainly says, but this is another example of it. I'll get into that. And I'll show you why as we go through. Now, Matthew says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Bethlehem was about five miles south of Jerusalem. Matthew says nothing about the events preceding the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. For example, in Luke, we can read about Gabriel's prediction of Jesus' birth to, I think it was Mary, might have been Joseph, I can't remember, but Gabriel's prediction of Jesus' birth. We read about Mary's visit to Elizabeth, of course, Mary's magnificent Magnifica. I will rejoice in God, my Savior, that beautiful song that's been classically rendered and is a part of Western tradition. And culture, all of that's left out. Why? Because Matthew probably wanted to emphasize Jesus' Davidic background, and so he emphasizes stuff that Jewish readers would be interested in because he's writing to Jews. He's the most Jewish of the gospel writers. And Jerusalem was David's city. And so he says after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi arrived in Jerusalem. So a Jew would be interested in this. People going to Bethlehem of Judea in Jerusalem. Matthew wanted to emphasize Jesus' Davidic background because the Messiah was supposed to come from the family of David and Jesus was from the Davidic family, and so that helps prove that he was the Messiah. So Matthew starts out saying, Jesus is born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now the question that arises to me first is, how did Joseph and Mary end up in Bethlehem when they were from Nazareth where Jesus grew up? Well, that's because the decree from Caesar Augustus forced them to go down to Bethlehem when they had to go partake of the, to participate in the census. Now, Bethlehem of Judea is mentioned. I've already mentioned that this emphasized that Jesus came from the tribe and territory of Davidic kings. Then, as the NIV study Bible says, Matthew is feeding into the Jews' expectations of a Messiah. They knew that the Messiah was to come from David's family and in Bethlehem of Judea. From David's family, from the descendants of David, we read in John 7:42. Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And I believe that was the Pharisees speaking here. All the Jews knew this was common knowledge. They, they knew that 
the Messiah was to come from the descendants of David. How did they know that? Because everybody knew the famous prophecy in 2 Samuel 7, 12. Nathan is prophesying to King David, when your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body, i.e. from the line of David, and I will establish his kingdom, i.e. the Messianic kingdom. So they knew about the Messiah coming from the descendants of David. They also knew that the Messiah was to come from Bethlehem, the village where David was. How did they know that? From the well-known prophecy in Micah, Micah 5.2, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Well, I'm not a Jewish rabbi. Even I knew that the Messiah was supposed to come from the line of David and, and was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Well, people that are Jews, even the, not just, you didn't have to be a Jewish scholar, just the average Jewish person knew that Jesus was supposed to come, excuse me, the Messiah was supposed to come to Bethlehem, and he was supposed to be in the line of David. So Matthew is emphasizing that so his Jewish readers would know that he is talking about the Messiah. Now, Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king. That's, of course, the famous Herod the Great who lived from, who ruled from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. when he died. Now, this is a really interesting guy. I've read two biographies of him. At least you should get on Wikipedia and read his biography, but it's best to read a whole book because he was really a piece of work. Now, Herod the Great was not a Jew. He was from Edomia, which is south of Judea, what was later called Edom, or earlier called Edom. So he was not a Jew. He was appointed king of Judea by the Roman Senate in 40 B.C., and he gained control of Judea in 37 B.C. Now, during the course of his political career, he murdered his wife, his three sons, his mother-in-law, his brother-in-law, his uncle, plus a lot of others. And, of course, he's famous for the slaughter of the innocents where he tried to kill all the babies two years old and under in Bethlehem, which we'll read about next audio, verse 16. He had ten wives. His second wife, Mary Omni, was the sole surviving member of the Maccabean, or the Asmonean race, the Asmonean dynasty. So that's how he, he was linked in with the Hasmoneans. Herod was noted for his building and refurbishing of structures, his splendor, theaters, amphitheaters, monuments, pagan altars, fortresses scattered all over the land of Israel. And of course, the most famous building of all was Herod's temple in Jerusalem, which was a, an addition to and refurbishment of Solomon's temple, the second temple. Herod started that project in 19, in 19 BC. He died in 4 BC and the project was still going on and was finished 68 years after Herod died. Now, I mentioned earlier that the Magi's came two years after Jesus was born. Notice that our verse here in Matthew 2 verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born, it didn't, doesn't say when Jesus was born, it's after Jesus was born. How do we know it was two years later? Well, because we read in Matthew 2.16 this, Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined for the Magi. He asked the Magi, when did the star appear that led you to the east? They said two years ago. And so Herod figured, okay, that's when the Messiah was born, two years ago. Now it's two years later. He's talking to the Magi. And so if he kills all the babies from zero to two, he's going to get the Messiah. Now, Verse 1 also says that the Magi went to Jerusalem. Why did they go to Jerusalem first? Well, king of the Jews, they're looking for the king of the Jews. They had heard about this king of the Jews. Those prophecies were all over the place. And it was logical that they would go to Jerusalem since they were looking for the king of the Jews. Jerusalem's the capital city of the Jews. So they went there, as the NIV Study Bible points out. We go down to Matthew 2, verse 2. The Magi say this, 
they ask a question. Now, it's not clear who they ask the question to. I'm assuming it's Herod or Herod's ministers, at least. Maybe he was talking just to some Jewish scribes, Pharisees and such. It doesn't say whom to whom they were talking. But this is the question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, the fact that the Magi call the Messiah the king of the Jews, that probably indicates that the Magi were Gentiles, as they now be studied Bible and James and Fawcett and Brown point out, because they distinguished king of the, they didn't say our king, they said king of the Jews, and they were the Gentiles. Obviously, they were Gentiles, they were from the east, and this is an indication of the universality of the nature of the gospel. The gospel was not exclusively Jewish. The Messiah was for all nations on the planet, which was a big bone of contention in the early church, as you know. Now, we saw a star in the east. Now, that was two years ago They st- when they were in Babylonia or wherever they were, Persia, and they saw this star, and this star is going to show up in the narrative again. It's called the Star of Bethlehem, and oh boy, do people love to speculate on exactly what astronolo- astronomical phenomenon, phenomena, or phenomenon, I guess it would be one phenomenon, is going on here to create this star in the east that drew the Magi to the east. Well, let me tell you, there's a split of opinion all over the place, and the Christian intellectual pointy-head types, astronomer types, love to write books about this. I looked on Wikipedia and looked at all the options. They were beyond belief. There were so many of them, and the the language is such that I can't interpret it because I'm not a scientist. I'm not an astronomer. I can't see things in space. I can't picture all these planets and stars whirling around in space. I'll talk about that in a minute, but whatever the star was, they came to worship the child this star pointed to, because they were enough into supernatural communications from the beyond to know that this was important. Even though it was Jewish, they weren't going to be exclusive about it. They said, well, it might be Jewish, but if he's going to be a king, maybe we better worship him as a king. Now, the question arises, how did the Magi know to follow the star? Well, Gill and Clark speculated they had gotten wind of Balaam's prophecy. In fact, sometimes this is called the star prophecy. Balaam's prophecy is called the star prophecy. Balaam, you recall, was the prophet from Syria that had been hired by the king of Moab as the Israelites were passing through Moab. And and the king of Moab, Balak was his name, didn't want him there. And so he says, I'm going to hire this prophet. He's going to curse him, curse the Israelites. So this is... This is Balaam prophesying to Balak, Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. That's talking about the star, the Messiah, the king. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter, that stands for a king. A scepter is a king's iron rod that shows that he's ruling. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. That's Seth. So you see, Balaam predicted that there was going to be a Messiah, a king, coming from Israel, from Jacob, from Israel. And so the wise men heard that, so they say, okay, there's a king coming. Now, it's interesting that the Roman historians, Suetonius and Tacitus, very famous historians, tell us of the expectation in the East that a ruler was going to arise out of Judea to rule the world. Jameson Fawcett Brown points that out. I'm going to give you quotes from Suetonius and Tacitus that tell us that in just a minute. But that's probably how the Magi knew the, the, the word was everywhere. There's going to be a king coming out of Judea. And so they were on the lookout for him. And then they saw the star. Hmm, okay. And the star, and there was a star referred to in Balaam's prophecy in Numbers 24, 17. Hmm, maybe this is the king that's going to come out of Jacob, going to come out of Israel. So we're going to come over there. We're going to go over there to Israel and worship this king. 
Now, it's interesting that as the Magi arrived in Jerusalem, they probably thought that all of Jerusalem would be alive with the news of the Messiah, that the time, the place, and the circumstances of the Messiah's birth would be well known. Instead, they get there, they discover that they themselves are the first to announce the birth of the Messiah. These Jews were pretty obtuse even at the very beginning of Jesus' life. All right, I told you I was going to read some quotes from Suetonius and Tacitus about the ancient belief that the promised Messiah would be coming from Israel. These, these beliefs were all over the East. Here's Suetonius, quote, An ancient and settled persuasion prevailed throughout the East that the fates had decreed some to proceed from Judea who should attain universal empire. Notice the, the subtle persuasion is all throughout the East, Suetonius says. And what is that subtle persuasion? That there is going to be some, at least one, who comes from Judea who would attain universal empire. is going to be the king of the world, king of the empire, at least. This persuasion, which the event proved to respect the Roman emperor, the Jews applied to themselves and therefore rebelled. Now, of course, Suetonius is not going to admit that the prophecies were true and that they referred to a Messiah coming out of the East. He says that the prophecies really actually applied to the Roman emperor and the Jews screwed that up. Well, so he's putting his Roman slant on it. But the point is, his quote does show that everywhere in the East, people thought there's going to be a Messiah coming out of Jerusalem. And that's why the Magi would head out, head out of town from the East, from Babylonia, Persia, wherever they were from, and head to Jerusalem to see who this king's going to be. They didn't call him the Messiah. They called him a king. Suetonius didn't call him the Messiah either. He said an emperor, a ruler. Tacitus, another famous Roman emperor, says this. Many were persuaded that it was contained in the ancient books of their priest that at the very time the East should prevail and that some should proceed from Judea, again, a king arising out of Judea, and possess the dominion and end up being a ruler. It was Vespasian and Titus that these ambiguous prophecies predicted. Of course, Tacitus, once again, he's Roman he slants the interpretation of the prophecy toward the Romans, but the point is, is that the idea was everywhere. King's coming out of Israel. So it's not surprising that the Magi from the east heard about these prophecies and headed out to Jerusalem. We go down to verse 3, Matthew 2. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why was Herod troubled? That, well, first of all, what did he hear that troubled him? He heard, the, and I'm assuming the Magi were talking to Herod personally, the Magi had asked him, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Ooh, king of the Jews. Herod's the king of the Jews. He's not going to like that. He's extremely jealous of his power. He didn't want competing kings in his jurisdiction. You're talking about there's another king coming? So that, and Herod was a paranoid SOB anyway, if you read his biography. So that, that, it's understandable he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him was troubled, Matthew says in verse 3. Why would they be troubled like Herod? Well, it could be they were pretending to be troubled, feigning sympathy with their cruel tyrant for fear of Herod. I don't think that's correct. John Gill and Jameson Fawcett and Brown do, but I, I don't think so. I think another option makes more sense. That, uh, well, Gill mentions that as an option. He's got another option. He said that the people of Jerusalem were afraid of civil tumults and commotions. Civil war. you got two kings fighting. Who suffers the population? So everyone had lost sight of the true spiritual nature of the Messiah. Everyone was thinking about political kings, not a spiritual king. And political kings meant civil disturbances. And that's why Jerusalem was troubled, along with Herod. We move now to verse 4 of Matthew 2. Speaking of Herod, Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, I'm assuming that if Herod had 
listened to the Magi before talking about a king coming to the east. He's dismissed them. They're gone now. And now, because later on he says he, 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 goes, he calls them secretly, so he calls them at a different time. So I'm assuming they're gone now. And he gets together instead his chief priests and scribes, the chief priests being the Sadducees in charge of the worship of the temple. That could either be the, the real chief priest currently in office, the the old chief priest who the former chief priest are also called chief priest. They also had a backup priest, a Sagon, I think they called him. And he was uh, could be called a chief priest. It could be the heads of the 24 courses that came in uh, every two weeks to minister in Jerusalem. But those were the guys that were sort of in charge of the temple. The scribes were the theologians, the teachers of the law, mainly. That was a, that was their function. Most of them were Pharisees. Chief priests were mainly Sadducees. So, but when he says chief priests and scribes, Sadducees and Pharisees, he's talking about all of the big shots of the nation, including he didn't favor one faction over another. He had them all. He says, okay, this is important business here. This is serious business. Where's this king of this Messiah? Where is he going to be born? Matthew 2, 5 and 6. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, the Jewish leaders were quoting Micah 5, 2. This is a well-known prophecy. I'll read it, Micah 5, 2. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Now, this is probably a little nerdy. There's a slight differences in Micah and in what the scribes told Herod. I'm going to call what the scribes told Herod, I'm going to say what Matthew said, even though it was not Matthew who said it. He's just recording what the scribes said, but just to make it easier to refer to, that's Matthew and Micah, and I'm going to go through the differences. First of all, in Micah, Micah calls Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Why did Micah use Ephrathah, and the chief priests and scribes in Matthew did not use Ephrathah? Because that name for Bethlehem had fallen out of use, and Herod wouldn't have known it. Well, why did Matthew say Bethlehem of Judah and Micah did not? Well, because Matthew was trying to distinguish Bethlehem from the Bethlehem of Zebulun, which is mentioned in Joshua 9.15. And also because he's trying to emphasize that Messiah came from where David came from. All right, here's another difference. And this is not a contradiction. We're going to have to reconcile these differences. Matthew says that Bethlehem is by no means least of the tribes of Judah. By no means least, which means there were big shots among the, the rulers of Judah. Whereas in Micah, we read that in the Holman Christian Study Bible, you are small among the clans of Judah. Big in Matthew, small in Micah. How do you reconcile it? Well, Gil's got an option here, which I don't buy. Bethlehem could be small, as in Micah, but still be bigger than all the other cities, which are even smaller. And so then when Matthew says, or the scribes and and chief priests say in Matthew that Bethlehem is by no means least. It means it's bigger than all the other jurisdictions of Judah, but it's still. But that doesn't mean it's no not. It's large. It just means it's relatively large compared to all the other cities in Judah. Now I don't buy that. I think that's logic chopping. Now here's a better way to reconcile it. Bethlehem is small in population and political power, as Micah says. Well, Matthew says that Bethlehem is by no means least great because of the great people that came from Bethlehem. Boaz, Jesse, David, the Messiah, all the 
tribe of the Messiah comes from Bethlehem, and so that's why the scribes are saying that Bethlehem is no, by no means least among all of Judah. I think that's the best way to reconcile it. Clark has got a manuscript way to reconcile it. It says that he has one manuscript for Micah that says, Art thou now the least, which is the same thing as Matthew says. I don't know one manuscript. I'm not going to go there. But let's note, even if it was a contradiction, in Micah, the tribe is sm- Bethlehem is small, and in Matthew, Bethlehem is big. It's not Matthew's contradiction. It was the scribes and the chief priests who were saying in Matthew that Bethlehem was big. And why would they do that? I don't know. Maybe they just misquoted Micah by accident. Maybe they did it on purpose because they were trying to build up Bethlehem for reasons I don't know. I don't know, but it wasn't Matthew that made the contradiction, if indeed there was a contradiction, and you don't buy those reconciliations. Notice that immediately the scribes and Pharisees answered Herod, the Micah prophecy was well known among all the Jews, as Gil says. And, of course, Herod didn't know because he's too busy building buildings and being a big shot and killing people. He's not interested in theology so much. He didn't know. But all the other Jews would know, especially scribes and chief priests. And Bethlehem, that it, the Messiah was supposed to be in Bethlehem, that was well known. The time of the Messiah was right around that time because of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy, which would be fulfilled somewhere around where they were. And so people were kind of looking for the Messiah. We read in Luke 3.15, Now while the people were in a state of expectation, and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Messiah, the Christ. So you see, people were looking for the Messiah this time. Jews had gathered from all nations at Pentecost, hoping to see the Messiah in Acts 2. There were many false messiahs everywhere. Matthew 24, verse 5, Jesus warned them, Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. That's not in the future, folks. That's in pre eighty seventy, And will mislead many. So yeah, there was everybody looking for the Messiah back then. Not just the wise men in the East. And they knew the Messiah was going to come from Bethlehem. So it's very interesting. Herod asked the chief priests and the scribes who the Messiah was. They tell accurately that the Messiah is coming from Judah and that a ruler will come from there. So they proclaim the Messiah. These are the same people that ended up murdering the Messiah. They were obtuse from the get-go. All right, moving along with the contradictions between, I say the contradictions, the differences, let's put it that way, between Micah and Matthew. I've already mentioned that Micah mentions a pratha. Matthew says it's Bethlehem of Judah. I've already mentioned that Micah says Bethlehem was small, but Matthew says that Bethlehem was great. The scribes and Pharisees say that Bethlehem was great. How about clans? Micah has clans great among the clans of Judah. Matthew has, Micah says you are small among the clans of Judah. Matthew has says that you are great among the rulers of Judah. Judah. That's easy. There's no contradiction there. It's no big deal to refer to the leaders of the clans instead of the clans themselves. That's a nothing burger. And that was probably TMI, but I like to do that because it bugs me when people say there are contradictions in the scriptures when they're, if you just spend a little bit of time with a little bit of grace, you can find out that no, the scripture doesn't contradict. The reason that most people find contradictions in the scriptures is because they don't want to bend their knee to Jesus. They keep them from fornicating from whomever or whatever they're fornicating with at the time. We now go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 7. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. Now I'm assuming they had been dismissed earlier if they had originally told Herod about the king arising from the east and the star that they had followed to get there. And then he dismissed them, talked to his Jewish scribes and Pharisees. 
dismissed them, and then he secretly called the Magi and determined, when is it that this star appeared? Now, why did he do this secretly? He was probably afraid of the Jews. The Jews knew what a reprobate he was and hated him. Herod may have been afraid the Jews would proclaim Jesus as Messiah, and Herod definitely didn't want that. So he dismissed his Jewish chief priests and scribes because he's thinking, I'm asking them about the Messiah, and they might start saying, hmm, these wise men coming from these, maybe we better look into this. Oh, let's go down to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem. Oh, he is the Messiah. Oh, now Herod's got a problem. He's got a comp- competitor for the throne. Herod didn't want that. So that's probably why he did it secretly. Now, an objection to that theory is that the Jews hated Jesus, opposed him tooth and nail, so why would they proclaim Jesus as the Messiah when they hated him? Well, that's true they did at the end, but maybe at the beginning. I've I've been saying at the get-go, but maybe at this early stage, they may have been excited about the Messiah coming. They might have been curious enough to go down there. It's a reasonable supposition, even though it wasn't true in actual fact, and Herod might have thought that. In Herod's mind, at least, it was true that these Jews might want to find a Messiah to to overtake him because he was paranoid. Even if the Jewish leaders had no intention of finding the Messiah down there in Bethlehem. Now, why did Herod ask the exact time the star appeared? Because he wanted to kill all the babies that had appeared on this earth from the same time that the star appeared. That way he would get all claimants to the Messiahship. Now, since Herod killed babies that were two years old and under, the time must have been two years earlier that the Messiah had been born. So that's how we know that the wise men showed up to see Jesus when he was about two years old. We go now to Matthew chapter 2, verse 8. And he, that's Herod, sent them, the wise men, to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. The child is capitalized in the New American Standard Version, Bible, as it is in a lot of English texts. There's not in the Greek, of course, but I like that. The child, <laughs> capital C child. So Herod tells the wise men to report back to him when they find the child. Why? So that he could come and worship him. Yeah, right. He wasn't going to come and worship the Messiah. He was going to kill the Messiah. Now, I don't know whether the Magi figured out what he was up to there, but later on, the Magi were warned, don't do that. Don't go back to Jerusalem and report where Jesus is. And the, and the Magi believed the vision they had. So whenever they got wise to Herod, they might not have been wise here. They did not come back and report to Herod because they knew because Herod was going to kill Jesus. And at some point, the Magi realized that. Now, here's a question. Why didn't Herod himself go down to Jerusalem with the Magi to look for the Messiah? It's only about five or six miles south. And this was not a trivial matter. A competitive king showing up on the scene. Well, Herod may have feared that the parents of the Holy Child would fear Herod and hide the child. That's reasonable. John Gill points that out. And so he doesn't want to go down there and run them undercover. He figures it's wiser to let the Magi go down there, say, who are we worshiping the Jesus? And then Joseph and Mary would have no reason to be afraid. They wouldn't try to hide out. And then when the Magi come back and report the child's location to Herod, he could then send his soldiers down there and kill Jesus. So, thank God for that. Providentially, Herod didn't go. Why didn't the Jews go? The chief priests and scribes go with the Magi to look for Jesus. Well, the Jews may have feared that it would look like they were planning to revolt from Herod. The Jews are thinking, this paranoid Herod has seen us going down there to worship a king, the Messiah. Ooh, Herod might not like that. He's been known to kill some people. He might kill us. So, they probably want to stay out of that. So, they didn't go. 
So if Herod had gone and or the Jews had gone, Jesus would have died prematurely. So that just shows the providence of God. And if the Jews had gone, by the way, I didn't mention this yet, if they had gone down there, if they had overcome their fear of Herod and gone down there and discovered where the Messiah was, they would have told everybody. And because of that, the word would have spread, Herod would have found out, and then he would have gone and killed Jesus, as Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown point out. So in the providence of God, nobody went down there to Bethlehem but those magi. Now I have a question, an interesting speculation. Why did Joseph and Mary stay in Bethlehem for two years after Jesus' birth? Remember, the wise men did not come to see Jesus in the manger. They came to see Jesus in his house. In fact, I don't have it in my notes. I just read this on the Internet. It says that they came to a house, not to the manger. It says they came to see the child, Pideon child, not the infant, Brephos. A child is more likely to be, Pideon is more likely to refer to somebody that's two years old. We got the two-year business that we talked about that they said that the star had showed up two years earlier. So these wise men came to see Joseph and Mary in Jerusalem, excuse me, in Bethlehem, two years after Jesus was born. So the question is, is why did Joseph and Mary stay in Bethlehem for two years after Jesus' birth? The scripture doesn't say. Now here's my wife, God bless her, Linda Trotter's speculation. I think this makes a lot of sense. Joseph and Mary probably planned on settling down in Bethlehem. After all, Judea was the family stomping ground of Joseph and Mary. They were both descendants of David, so that makes sense they would stay in Bethlehem. And they stayed there for two years until Herod's persecution and slaughter of the innocents forced them to go to Egypt. All right, so that makes sense. Then down in Egypt, why didn't they return to their hometown like they originally had, where they had originally stayed for two years? Why did they not stay there in Bethlehem? Well, that's because when two years were up, their, their time in Egypt was up. Not two years, I'm sorry. Their time in Egypt was up. There was an evil official named Archelaus who was ruling Judea, and they were scared of him. Matthew 2.22. But when he heard, as Joseph, heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he, Joseph, was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee, and that's how they ended up back in Nazareth. All of it makes sense, but you kind of got to read between the lines to get there. Matthew 2, verse 9, after hearing the king, that's King Herod, they, the wise men, went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Now, some people like to speculate they saw the star two years earlier, then the star reappeared when they got to the, uh, Palestine. I don't know, but the point is they went on before them and stood over the place where the child was. Now, here's where you have all kinds of speculation. I'm going to read you some of them just to show you how complicated this is. This issue is for Christian nerds, for pointy-headed intellectuals, astronomers, and the like. All right, some people say it was Halley's Comet. That showed up in 12 B.C., but that's not near where the time of Jesus was born. Jesus was born anywhere between 6 and 4 B.C., depending on who you read. That's too early. Some people say it's another comet. Some people say it's a supernova, but that doesn't explain how the star moved from Jerusalem to Bethlehem because stars don't move. Supernovas don't move. They rotate as the earth rotates, but they don't really move outside of that rotation. Some people say it's a very unusual conjunction of stars and planets in 6 B.C. That's about the time of Jesus' birth, but the problem is they've measured the distance between the stars and the planets that are in conjunction at that time, and there's enough space to where it doesn't make one blob of light. I think it's the distance of about two moons' diameters between the stars, and you can see that gap, and so it's not really one star. Some people speculated this is the Shekinah glory of God, which appeared low in the atmosphere. It's not even an atmospherical thing, an astronomical phenomenon. It's actually God's Shekinah glory. 
Some people said it was a meteor, but how does a meteor appear and last for two years? They kind of burn out. Well, so some people say, well, there was a meteor that appeared in the east. It burned up and disappeared. Then it reappeared in Jerusalem as another meteor. Well, okay. Some people just throw their hands up and say it was supernatural, but we don't know how. It's unexplained. And it's not productive and maybe even harmful to speculate. And this shouldn't surprise us. The whole story of the virgin birth is supernatural. Well, I'm sorry, but I can't help it. I'd kind of like to know if there's a reason, I'd like to know what it is. Now, if you look at Wikipedia, there's a whole string of very complicated astronomical speculations as to what the star of Bethlehem is. I picked out one of them just to show you how incredibly difficult it is. You're not going to understand this unless you're a genius. I didn't understand it. Quote, another theory is the more likely supernova of February the 23rd, 4 B.C., which is now known as PSR 1913 plus 16 or the Holtz-Taylor Pulsar. It is said to have appeared in the constellation of Aquila near the intersection of the winter color and the equator of date, whatever that means. The nova was recorded in China, Korea, and Palestine. Actually, in about 2 or 3 BC, there's all kinds of astronomical, astronomical phenomena going on. That's one of them. And of course, all of this affects how you date Jesus' birth. Traditionally, it's 4 B.C., but some people have it been early as 6, some people as 3, you know, that. so you're not going to pin anything down by that. So that's over my head. If you're a very smart guy, very intellectual type person, you can study all the different speculations. I mean, there was a book written in 2015 about it. People love this. Astronomer type people love to speculate on what this star was. Now, there's something I had a trouble with. How can a star pinpoint a particular place with so much accuracy? Because we read in our verse here, in verse 9, the star went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Now, that means whatever this thing was, the star, it stopped in the sky. It, the verse does not say that this stopping in the sky told the wise men where the child was. It does not say that. But, of course, we read it that way, at least I have for you. But it doesn't say that. It just says the star stood over the place where the child was. Now, if you're trying to say that that star stood over the place where the child was and that was an indication to the wise men where Jesus was, his house was, you run into all kinds of problems. How's a star in the sky going to pinpoint a house? That's impossible. Well, as someone pointed out, the Greek is ambiguous as whether it's the star stopped over the house over Bethlehem. But even if the star stops over Bethlehem, how's that going to pick out one little village over all the villages that are over there in Judea? The star stopping is not going to do that. The star is going to stop in Jerusalem. It's going to stop everywhere. So there's your problem. Now, let me mention about this stopping. There's one option of the star I didn't mention when I went through my long list of speculations. Some people speculate it's the planet Jupiter because planets can stop and even regress in their track across the sky for astronomical reasons, which I can't pretend to, to fathom, but they do. And this would explain if this was happening, the star could be moving across the sky in its normal planetary track, and all of a sudden it got to its point of regression and stopped. Now, let me insert here the verse says that the star stood over Bethlehem, and the implication is, is the star was leading the wise men to Bethlehem. That is the way everybody reads it. But note, in just a few verses earlier, Herod has told the wise men to go to Bethlehem. They didn't need the star to tell them to go to Bethlehem. Herod had told them to go to Bethlehem. How did Herod know? Because his chief priests and scribes had told him about Micah 5 too. So the Wise men already knew about Micah 5.2. That star was not necessary to get them to Bethlehem. Now, as far as it's standing in the sky, even when the star is moving, it could be said to be 
standing in the sky because if the star is led them all the way from the far east, from Persia or Babylon, the star would have to be moving slow enough so that the wise men could follow it across the deserts there. And so if it's going that slow, it can very well be said to stand over Jerusalem. You're just talking about a, a week or two difference between, uh, well, actually probably a day or so, however long it takes the wise men to get from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. That star is not going to move that much, even if it's moving. I mean, I've gone outside and watched the moon move a little bit at night, but that's if you're just looking for it. If you just go outside and look at the moon, you say it's the moon is standing in the sky, even though it's actually moving very slowly. So I think that explains the problem of how this star showed the wise men exactly where the Bethlehem was or the house was. No, it didn't. They rejoiced when they saw the star because it, they realized that even if they didn't see the star stop, which it might have been going so slow they wouldn't see the star stop, but they were rejoicing when they looked at the star because they realized this is the star that led them to the Middle East and led them to hear about the prophecies of Micah, the prophecy of Micah 5.2, and got them to Bethlehem. But it doesn't mean that the star was leading them to Bethlehem and that it stopped and showed them where Bethlehem was. Folks, I didn't read that anywhere. I made this up. So you take it with a grain of salt, but I really think it makes a lot of sense. We go down to verse 10 and 11 of Matthew 2. When they, the wise men, saw the star, and I'm assuming that's when they saw the star stopping, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They probably before had become greatly discouraged. They had traveled so far all the way from the Far East, or from the Middle East, from either Babylonia or Persia, and so far no, no results. They came to Jerusalem. They didn't find the Messiah there. They wanted to go to Bethlehem. Nobody wanted to travel to Bethlehem with them, not Herod, not the Jews, as John Gill points out. But they finally do it, and there they are. They found a house, not the manger, folks, but the house where Mary and Joseph were living. Now notice here in verse 11 that Matthew says, after coming to the house, they, the wise men, saw the child with Mary's mother. The child is mentioned before the mother. That's unusual. We usually don't do that. And, we, and again, capital C in the English translation, we don't do that either. We usually mention the parents and the first and the child next. Why? Because Jesus is one very special child. And notice we usually mention the father too. Joseph's not even mentioned. He's not connected directly to the birth of the Messiah. Mary is, of course, because she was supernaturally impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Now, these wise men came and gave gifts, the famous gifts that are given to Jesus. It's very common in the East to give gifts to kings, as John Gill points out. Adam Clark says this, quote, The people of the East never approach the presence of kings and great personages without a present in their hands. Having lived in China for 23 years, I'm telling you, the East is the most gift-giving culture on the face of the planet. You had to give a gift to do anything. And it was a very fine distinction between a gift and a bribe, I'm telling you. It was a distinction I had a hard time making because everybody's giving a gift. A gift. You went to visit somebody. Somebody asked you out to eat. By golly, you better take a present and wrap it up and take it to them. That's just what you did. Now, of course, they wouldn't open it up while you were there, so you wouldn't be embarrassed, but they'd open it up after you left. So you take a gift. Oh, I remember reading Jinping Mei, which is the famous, I forgot the English translation of that famous Chinese novel that's been banned in China because it's so pornographic in parts. I read the version that had the pornography parts translated into Latin, so I couldn't read it, so I could just read the English parts. And it's three volumes long, and in the book, I would say, a half of the book is talking about the presents that people were giving to the king. That no, excuse me, that this feudal lord that was the star of the book, when he would go to his superior, he would carry these X number of rolls of silk, this number of rolls of silk, 
this kind of silk and just presents, presents, presents. So this is not surprising that the wise men gave gifts to the new king. Gifts of gold, and notice there's three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and that's probably where the idea of we three kings of Orient are. Folks, this tradition is wrong in two ways. It doesn't say there were three magi. We don't know how many magi it was. We just know there were three gifts. That doesn't necessarily mean they're three magi. Also, they were magi. They weren't kings. This song should be banished from every hymnal in the West. But it won't be, of course, because tradition is more important than the scripture. We know that. Now, frankincense and myrrh. Frankincense was used in sacrificial offerings. I've got some great pictures I got off the Internet, which I can't show you on audio. It looked very similar to myrrh, actually. I got some pictures of myrrh, too. Myrrh was used in perfume. as sweet-smelling. It's actually a typical kind of gift you would give to a king. Matthew chapter 2, verse 12. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country, wherever that was, Babylonia, Persia, by another way. Now, remember, Herod had charged them to come back and tell me where they are, and they didn't do it. So the Magi deliberately disobeyed the king Herod, and good for them, because if they had obeyed, Jesus would have gotten murdered. These Magi knew that Jesus was the king. Now, they left, went back home, and we never hear from them again. They disappear from history, as John Gill points out. So we don't know if they were born again. We don't know what report they made in their home country about Jesus. We don't know what their reaction was to such a report. We don't know. But we do know that God, the Messiah, that Jesus has been proclaimed by king, and we today, 2,000 plus years, are still reading the story because Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord, and there ain't nobody going to ever take his kingdom away from him. Ladies and gentlemen, I am finished with Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In our next audio, Matthew 2, 13 through the end of the chapter, I'm going to discuss the Holy Family's flight into Egypt and their return. We'll see you next audio for that, and I hope you enjoyed this audio.